0: Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hi friends, welcome to The Men's Room, where interesting things happen. My guest today is the CEO of a company that has just been resurrected from the brink of collapse with a fresh round of funding of $15 million, and there's more to come, hopefully. He's a delivery veteran who probably knows as much about shipping stuff to people's houses as he does about structuring and leading a highly effective business model in this 2.0 version of the world we're living in. Please welcome the new CEO of Fetcher, Hussein Wahbi. Thank you for taking the time to do this.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Nadia, for inviting me.
0: So tell us a little bit about Fetcher, just to get started.
1: Well, in a nutshell, Fetcher uh, was founded in 2012. Uh, with a cloud technology platform and digital only approach at that time it was really born uh, to disrupt the traditional supply chain model and to make a big difference in the e-commerce world at that time so in and in a couple of words i can summarize this for you fetcher is is, uh, is a tech enabled and advanced logistics provider who's coming really to make a big difference in this region
0: Okay. And when you say logistics, we're talking about mainly last mile delivery, if I understand correctly, correct? Well,
1: no. Honestly, that was the few, uh, the previous fetcher. Okay. The new fetcher today is coming as not only the local domestic last mile services provider across, uh, across the UAE and KSA and Egypt. We're coming more into an end-to-end cross-border international solutions provider. And, of course, the local domestic services that we provide for the B2C e-commerce uh, organizations are here to stay. However, we're going from a small regional player to a bigger international player who will offer cross-border solutions, end-to-end, and, of course, local services across the countries where we operate in.
0: Okay, I think I kind of see where you're going. But let's take, let's take it back a few years. Uh, Fetcher was founded in 2017 when they received... Or to, maybe not founded. 2012. 2012, but in 2017 yeah. was kind of a moment where uh, they took it to the next level when they received $300 million, uh, mostly raised from Silicon Valley investors, right? Am I right so no, far? No, this
1: was, no, <laughs> no? well, if, if you want let's start more, I can tell you that, that what has changed uh, by the end of almost 2019, where the transformation team took over Fetcher.
0: Right. I was getting to that. I just wanted to have a little bit of history so that we understand how the company became what it is today and how and what yeah. the process has gone through. So continue.
1: Yes, Fetcher has, been, even if it was established in 2012, um, the Fetcher team at that time have done a great job in building the brand equity here and, you know, the disruptive solutions that came to this region in a time when not everybody used to have at that time the type of technology that Fetcher came in with. And honestly, Fetcher was a big threat for many big players at that time. When I was working also with big players, I saw in Fetcher that disruptive, young, and and, uh, energetic team who were trying to change the way uh, uh, the last mile operations happened in this region. by end of 2019, uh, when things started to change a little bit in the company, when it comes to the performance of the company because of maybe the rapid growth of the organization, uh, a, a transformation team have taken over, Fetcher, and they came in. Uh, this transformation team had, has a diversified uh, number of executives who come from the industry of the logistics and of course from the VC and private equity. So they have done a great job even before I joined and improving the efficiency of the company and improving the unit economics of the company and bringing in uh, maybe a new team who, who, who's supposed to lead this organization to the next level. A lot of positive changes were happening and this was literally in the middle of COVID-19 crisis. And all this happened in the middle of the crisis, and it was done perfectly well, which caused the success of the latest fundraising that Fetcher uh, got and positioned us now on the right track, as as I say always, to fly to the next level.
0: Right. And we'll get to that, which is uh, congratulations on that, by the way. So that transformation team Basically, cut over twelve hundred jobs and closed down um, several operations in Jordan, Bahrain, Oman. So they really cleaned house. And then you came on board in April. and what ha- what was your first order of business when you came on board?
1: Yeah, so upon joining uh, Fetcher, uh, I was really focused on addressing the internal culture of the organization because, as you know, Uh, The culture of any company is the backbone of the organization. So I had a deep dive into the culture uh, in a time when the employees naturally were, they have been through very tough times uh, of doubt and uncertainty, uh, which maybe caused a lot of negative impact at that time on their morale. So I had to work on this. Uh, I had to really uh, support and encourage the existing Fetcher team to be able to bring back their confidence. In the industry, in the organization, and in the mission, or the rebound mission of, of this great company. And the, honestly, Nadia, the team showed incredible resilience, incredible commitment to work during the toughest times, to an extent of even during these very unprecedented times when the order spikes went up, uh, up to the roof between, I think... Uh, April and May due to the COVID situation and during the lockdowns in this region, they have managed to keep the service levels literally unaffected and they worked day in, day out with utmost commitment. That was the first thing that I had to at least focus on to keep things up and running. While in parallel, you had a great transformation team who were also working on a parallel path to really bring this company up and running even stronger than before.
0: Right. And part of that transformation was to take that company from the brink of bankruptcy and uh, get some fresh investment to kind of restart. And so in August, you finally got 15 million?
1: Yes, we got 15 million dollars.
0: Not bad. Congratulations. It sounds like a good number to start, but I know you're aiming for a little bit more to get 25 million in the next uh, few months.
1: Well, as you read in the press release, we got 15 million and aiming to raise another 10 in the coming months. Right. And of course... This is this is all due to the great uh, confidence of our investors. And I believe uh, there's a very big responsibility on all of us in Fetcher to prove to everybody who invested in Fetcher that they have taken the right step and they have invested in the right company and the right people and, of course, in the right technology.
0: So my question is... What what do you think it is that convinced the investors that it was worth putting more money into a company that started with $300 million, you know, just a few years ago and kind of wasn't able to get off the ground with that much cash? What do you think it is that the transformation did and what you guys are doing that gave the investors that confidence?
1: A lot of things happened uh, that affected really the positive uh, decision of the investors, starting by the very rapid positive results which the transformation team have showed during the first six months of the rescue mission, if I'm allowed to say that. So the very quick results that showed between the efficiencies, between the improvement in service, between reducing the the burn, the cash burn and and all all these positive vital signs that happened were really the spark to uh, to attract. Uh, or to triple the investors uh, attention sorry plus of course you cannot forget that investors always look not only in the in the company itself they look the team behind the company they look into the talents in this company they look into the potential of this organization what can it do differently than others they look into the technology of the company the strategy and the way uh, we were planning to bring it back as an agile flexible reliable uh, organization which can again bring something really different to the industry in this very competitive region so all these were maybe the ingredients that have helped in bringing strong data investor confidence.
0: And is this a growing sector, like some other sectors that have to do with like food delivery and all the back systems that go with that, like the platforms that are being developed globally? Is this a growing sector?
1: Definitely. Set aside the food industry, which is growing exponentially, uh, this industry is one of the most growing sectors in this region. And I can tell you that the real boom has just started. Unfortunately, as you know, COVID-19 have negatively affected uh, a lot of industries and businesses. However, the impact on us as an industry was extremely positive. It was positive on the e-commerce businesses in general. And this is where we saw exponential growth numbers that exceeded sometimes 500% of growth figures in the region and i personally think that this growth path is in the b2c business is here to stay the e-commerce business is going to keep growing the consumer uh, behavior have changed people are getting used more to buy online they're getting used back, uh, more to have their parcels coming to their doors they prefer maybe to go to malls or to the brick and mortar stores only when whenever it's very much necessary Uh, Or even if they go to malls, they would rather go for entertainment rather than buying things. So e-commerce, yes, it's going to grow a lot. And the more this business grows, the more companies like Fetcher uh, will increase their commitment to handle and create efficient delivery capacities for these e-commerce players. Because we want them to sell more, and this is where we will commit to deliver more.
0: Right. So you've spent a lot of time at Aramex as a managing director, 16 years, and then a year also at UPS. What are you bringing to Fetcher from those experiences? And also, how does uh, Fetcher compete with those already established uh, businesses?
1: Look, I will definitely tell you that every single best practice which I learned in Aramex and UPS is coming with me to Fetcher. You know, those 20 years were the best learning curves in my whole career. I learned great things in each of the organizations which I worked with. I give the credit fully to those organizations in shaping my personality, my knowledge and experience, which I carry today, because without every company that I worked with in the past, I couldn't really have had enough maybe experience and knowledge uh, to bring to Fetcher and allow this company to go to the next level. So I can I can write a book about this, honestly. However, a lot of best practices I carry from all the organizations that I work with, and I'm very much committed to implement and deploy these in Fetcher, and of course, with a cherry on the top.
0: <laughs> with a cherry on the top. Well, you're obviously you seem to be well liked. Like I've read a lot of comments from your teams from past uh, jobs and your I guess your new team. How do you become a good boss and how do you build loyalty and trust, especially when you come on board with a new team, which, as you said, had a very low morale when you showed up and they were probably a little reticent uh, about who's the new guy, you know, who's going to take over. How do you build that?
1: It's it's really a mix of, of having the privilege of being led myself by great leaders in the past. I have, I have worked with great leaders uh, during my career, and of course they are very, you can count them on, on, on your fingers, as they say, however I learned from their skills, they passed to me their skills, their knowledge, I followed their path and the way they used to lead me, because the way you, you are led is the best way. To, to adopt and leading others as long as you are happy in the way you are, you are being led. And of course, uh, there are some special leadership attributes that you acquire through experience and with and, and what comes also uh, from within. Your personality will allow you as well if you have that positive, pleasant, non-egoistic, approachable personality, every single leadership attribute which you learn from experience or from other leaders will complement your personality here. People want to work with leaders who are approachable. People want to work with leaders who have passion, empathy, zero ego, available for anybody, supportive. And this is really what the business world needs today.
0: But how, how far do you go with that? Like, is it important to be like a cool boss, to be fun and friendly with the employees that are working for you? How far do you take that?
1: Within limits, of course. When we say cool and fun, it doesn't mean that things are loose here. There's, there's a thin line here between uh, uh, the professional approach and the fun approach. I always tell people, let's work, make money, and have fun at the same time. I mean, why not? You have to be an approachable leader. You have to be somebody who's there, people-oriented. You don't want to be isolated in your office with 10 secretaries and all these uh, closed doors. By the way, the open-door policy, which I adopt and I learned from my previous leaders, is, is perfect. Some people ask me, how can you focus when you have an open-door policy? I can tell you it's very difficult to focus, yes. However, the impact of this Is 10 times more than choosing to sit behind a screen and focus on on something during your working hours. You can always focus when you go and isolate yourself in in a separate office, but during the day-to-day work, you have to be uh, uh, open to everybody, receive everybody, and support everybody in the organization.
0: Yeah. Was your appointment contingent on receiving this new funding? Were you kind of waiting to see if you were going to get it before you came on board?
1: This is, this is the real essence of the story. I can tell you no. And I joined Fetcher in a time when uh, it wasn't, you know, in the, in the middle of COVID-19. In April, it was the peak of COVID. And the uncertainty was incredibly scary. But I said, you know what? There are a lot of employees in Fetcher who are undergoing this uh, stressful and tough times. Why can't I be with them? You will tell tell me, did you take a risk? I'll tell you at all. I never considered this as a risk. It was an opportunity. It was a learning opportunity for me because whatever I've seen during that period of time, I have never seen it in my whole 20 years of experience. It was a great lesson in resilience. And trust me, Nadia, I learned from the people in this organization. I acquired a lot of new skills which I never had before because of the challenge and the opportunities which were in this company during the toughest times. So yes, if you tell me, will I do it again? I will do it 10 times and 20 times more. Nothing is really better than coming from multinationals to these young companies that are having the challenges. And especially when you have the right people on the ground whom you can join and you believe in the company, you believe in the mission. And today we are all celebrating hopefully the success and the future success of Fetcher uh, through all the great things that we are doing together.
0: But it was kind of a risk. I mean, there was a chance that things wouldn't go the right way. Name one thing that you, uh, that you learned through this experience. You, you, you mentioned that you picked up some new skills. What's one of those, the main one?
1: I will say it again. It's ultimate resilience and never giving up. These two skills, you know, because when you work in big companies, big companies are cash rich, big companies are very uh, sustainable, you know, Nothing can really happen to large organizations overnight. So I was more of, you know, in every big company which I worked with, and of course these companies, as I told you, were the greatest schools for me. But I've never been in the situation which I was when I joined Fetchers, which I was literally on the ground with everybody, literally in the line of fire, and literally enjoying every single minute of the challenge. Believe me, every single person in this company well you, you couldn't feel the worry rather than you will feel the excitement that we will make it together and we will do it together as one team. And they have done it. And I'm very proud of each and every one of this organization.
0: It sounds like everything went uh, the right way. But um, you've also served as a government advisor to the UAE prime minister's office in the government. Yeah. Um, what were you advising them on exactly?
1: My experience uh, while working for the government was literally phenomenal. Uh, It was a great chance for me to exchange the best practices uh, between the private and the public sectors. I have worked as an advisor for the federal government services team in the prime minister's office. Uh, My advisory role was or had nothing really to do with logistics. I I had nothing to do with supply chain logistics or or delivery. It was more of utilizing my experience in the service sector uh, as a whole in general. Um, it, for me, it was it was a great experience. It was a great contribution uh, because I have passion to this country. I have passion to contribute to this country. This country have given me a lot of things, and I'm committed for life to give back. So this opportunity was the best opportunity for me to practice that, and it never ends there. I'm always, I look up always to the best government practices because i can see that the private the public sector in the uae is two steps ahead of the private sector in terms of innovation in terms of uh, creativity in terms of uh, living the future while enjoying the the, the present
0: yeah, I can see I can see why you would say that. Uh, but you keep mentioning best practices. So the US and China are leaders in pretty much every uh, industry in the private sector, at least. Um, what would it take for the Middle East, specifically the UAE, since you advise them, to be a leader on a global scale? Are they missing out and or n- not uh, living up to uh, best practices standards?
1: Well, as we all notice today, uh, the UEE is already on the front lines as an innovative and futuristic uh, country. Uh, and we can see a lot of great things happening in the present today. And you have always a glimpse to the future when you live in the UEE. You always have a sneak peek to the future, again, as I told you, while living in the present. I think it takes, in my personal opinion, of course, it takes a great visionary leadership and the will uh, to become the number one in everything the country offers. And this is what I have learned in the UAE. Um, It really takes a great vision, an innovative leadership mindset, and, of course, definitely the right infrastructure for every single vital sector that is supposed to contribute in, in, in the positioning of these countries. And in my own humble opinion, the UAE ticks all those boxes.
0: Yeah, as a government. But when you're dealing with some of the private sector companies not all the time there are many great ones especially you know uh, based in Dubai and so on but when you go around some of the other countries and places in the Middle East you find that uh, there's not the same kind of uh, powerful culture in these big companies or in these medium companies that that you could see them going to the next level so that's why I'm asking do you think that there's a uh, a lack of best practices or focus on best practices in much of the private sector is this something that, that might change the game if they took it up a notch?
1: Basically, I'm seeing a, a big progress in all the countries in the region, at least. Uh, the countries in this uh, region, are. it's okay to, to, um, to follow each other's best practices. I can see also in Saudi Arabia, there's a great, great progress in everything, in all the sectors. Uh, I mean, if you look into the kingdom today, the vision as well and the direction are incredible. And I can see also Saudi Arabia being on the map as one of the of the top countries in terms of um, uh, creativity and innovation as well. You can see a lot of work being done also in other countries other than the two big, big, big countries in this region. So I think everybody is, is on the right path. It's becoming more of a regional culture here. It's becoming uh, a game of catching up, having a common... Uh, uh, Image for this region to attract more companies, to attract more organizations, to attract more businesses to come here, set up their businesses here, live here, and sometimes retire with their families as well. I believe the attraction that the countries in this region that are being given today, and especially during these tough tough times, are very attractive, and this makes us very proud to be living in this region and Contributing somehow in a way or another and making these countries, which which give us the opportunity to work and live in, maybe any impact that we do as individuals or as organizations uh, uh, means a lot to us.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fascinating what's happening, how quickly everything is changing in in that part of the world, in this part of the world. Um, But I noticed that you've worked also with Singularity University, uh, which is something that I joined a couple of years ago, technically, but I never really worked with them. What can you tell me about them? And have you taken part in any events with them?
1: No, I did not really work with them. What I did, I I took a course in Singularity University in California several years back. Uh, this course was called the uh, i think the exponential leadership program it was an excellent course that puts executives and leaders uh, on a futuristic leadership mindset while understanding and maybe getting prepared for more advanced for a more advanced and digital world so they they, te- they take you into uh, a mission of understanding the 2.0 version of this world uh, i learned a lot of of those futuristic technologies that will shape the future uh, of business, that will shape the future of human race, and of course those disruptive technologies that will positively, hopefully they will positively impact uh, the world in a way or, or another. So my mindset have really shifted from the traditional way of thinking into the futuristic way of thinking, and we learned that transforming a business or a digital transformation is not really a buzzword, it's not really a headline that you put on press releases. It's much more of having the right mindset first and then cascading this down across your organization. And after that, you will start executing the technical components of a digital transformation. So my takeaways were literally incredible.
0: It sounds like it. I like how you put it uh, as like the version 2.0 of the world, because um, you're right. It's kind of very. It's a fundamental change that we're going through, and and it's not just uh, you know going digital. It's it's really the way you, you think about everything is changing. So that sounds really cool.
1: Yeah, that, Nadia, the, the world is rebooting now, as they say.
0: Yeah, another good way to put it.
1: So it's it's rebooting or upgrading it to its two point zero version.
0: Yeah. Good way to put it, really, I love it. Um, Do you have any advice for a new executive coming on board?
1: I'm gonna give you two advices. I'm gonna give an advice about any executive who's joining a new company. The first thing that they should never do is to do any quick changes. No matter how positive or negative are these changes, it's very important for any new joiner to go into this company, listen, listen, and listen first, understand the organization, Sit with all the people, at least the key stakeholders, and then any decisions that need to be taken shouldn't really be taken before maybe three to six months of, of, of service, number one. Number two, in general, I mean, there are, there are some, some key recipes here. Lead with passion, lead with empathy, hold yourself as a leader accountable before holding anybody else. And most importantly, be that guardian angel of the corporate culture of your organization. You have to own it from top to bottom. And be customer-centric, be people-centric, be transparent, uh, be approachable. No hidden agendas. Take your power really from your people because this is the real source of power for any leader. Your own people. If you do this, you will definitely achieve the ultimate success and nothing is going to stand in your way.
0: Well, inspiring words. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was great having you. Good luck with uh, everything you're doing at Fetcher. looks like a lot of big changes already started and coming our way.
1: Thank you, Nadia. And of course, definitely whatever you're gonna see from Fetcher is the pure outcome of the teamwork that everybody is gonna contribute in and uh, wishing you all the best as
0: well. Thank you. And that's it for today, all you amazing listeners. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to click the subscribe button. You can find The Men's Room in all of Hakawati's amazing, incredible, fantastic shows wherever you get your podcasts. Lots of love. See you next time.